welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70 of the Bat, at C70 on Twitter with me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. Uh, Cardinals are deuces wild now. Two wins, two losses, two ties. Um, and Tara, I guess it's the new the rules that they've got this year where you can, at least for the first couple weeks of spring training, you can roll innings and bring pitchers back and blah, 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 blah. But it feels like there've been a whole lot more ties this spring. <laughs> I mean, there's always some, but not just for the Cardinals, for a group across baseball, a lot more ties than we're used to. And I can't say I'm a big fan of that part. Yeah, it certainly feels a little less competitive than normal mm-hmm. in the sense that everyone's kind of just there to do their thing and get their work in. And then everyone collectively is just kind of like, Man, that's good. We're fine. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's I understand it from sort of the training camp type perspective, but as far as the typical spring training, once games start, you're used to seeing something that looks more reminiscent of actual baseball than just some kind of practice squad game. Uh, this this isn't that, so it's definitely unusual to see uh, the the results being so insignificant in terms of what everyone is trying to accomplish this spring. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, they didn't get to bring as many pitchers to camp. They don't have as many options. You're right. I get all that. But this idea that you don't necessarily know how many innings you're going to play until like the day before (laughs) Um, the facts that, yeah, that you can just say, Oh, we're done with this inning now. Um, even though you've got bases loaded, <laughs> we're done. I wish we could do this sometimes in the regular season. You know, it's like, uh, okay, we're we're in trouble here. Uh, we're done with this. Ending. Let's, just, yeah. let's just move on. Yeah. Um, and then the, I mean, yeah, it was in, in the box scores are are not accurate then because you know, like <laughs> last week, Jack Flaherty got an inning and a third maybe for getting one out. It's just it's weird. Yeah. Um, you know, we have. KK come go take leave the game come back for the second Carlos Martinez leave come back for the second inning I you know 2020 broke baseball obviously <laughs> and I, I don't I, I did see you know Tony Russo talking about the head they had rolled an inning and he said he really don't think they'd want to do that anymore just because the fans and there are fans in the stands I mean that's got to be the weird part too right I mean we're watching at home kind of <laughs> somewhat but you know, you're at the ballpark and you're kind of getting into this rally and then all of a sudden, no, they're going to just switch. What? Especially, I don't know if you've ever been to a game where there was a challenge that happened. The fact mm-hmm. that you in the stands have no idea what's <laughs> happening is just the weirdest thing. At least in football, they announce what the challenge is. And I know there's been some conversation about doing that in baseball as well for the sake of the fans in the stands. If you're watching at home, you get the chance to see the replays and hear what they're discussing and understand the sort of analysis of the moment. But in the stands, you're just sort of blindly sitting there (laughs) wondering what is happening right now? Why? What? I'm sure they're reviewing something, but (laughs) Um, and the same, I think is true of this where I can imagine sitting in the stands and, if you know you see Carlos Martinez come out in the first and then all of a sudden go back in the second your your brain kind of messes with you for a moment and you're like wait a second did I did I black out for a like did they they've played the other half of this inning right (laughs) um just very very bizarre for the sake of the fans that's for sure I mean, I know in spring training occasionally you use the same number twice usually those high numbers (laughs) but it's like 
do we have another 18 that's uh-huh. Carlos, that's Martinez? What, what's, what's the odds of that? I don't know. Yeah. It seems, it seems weird. I also think it's what, I think it's, I don't know if they can still do that this week. I can't remember when the, the deadline. And there comes a point where they're not allowed to do those kind of things mm-hmm. anymore. As things do kind of ramp up, you're getting those innings out of the pitchers anyway. But uh, yeah, just another remnant of whatever. It's like the, <laughs> the 2020 hurricane. And then the little last little bits have come washing us ashore. And another part of that is this week they pushed back AAA um, to, yeah. another, uh, to start when the others do. Um, which is going to make for some interesting things there as well, because as we were talking on Mutual this week, and I didn't quite realize it at the time, but this you know alternate site has to be made up of people that are currently in spring training, so you know you don't get a chance to just bring up anybody like they did last year. You're kind of stuck with these same people, and you didn't necessarily know that when you, when you sent your invites out. Yeah, it's certainly a weird adaptation. After the fact, not that that is or should be surprising because Mm. we saw those sorts of things happen throughout the summer last year. And this year, while some things are trending in a a positive direction towards maybe some sort of normalcy by the end of the summer, right now we're not there. So expecting the unexpected probably should have been part of what we all were looking at this spring. But you're right. It doesn't lend itself to the most thought out alternate site players when that wasn't and in a lot of ways it, it is kind of reminiscent of the whole dh no dh thing mm-hmm. that last year was decided so late in terms of nl teams that didn't build their roster <laughs> around the concept of having a dh and then you know they can manage and figure something out there can certainly be a player to hit in that spot but it doesn't mean it's how they would have gone about it if they were planning for that from the beginning so we know that John Mazalek struggled a bit with that alternate site thing last year, trying to figure out how to best utilize it. And then that was challenged almost immediately. Um, but it's at least for a limited amount of time or so it seems at this point, we know how these delays have gone in the last you know, year or so. Um, but it does complicate the issue. I think it also, it, presents an interesting sort of predicament for some of the guys who would have automatically been, for example, starting pitchers at Memphis. Well, it's great that they can go to the alternate site, but do you want to delay the start of their season that significantly? Who would have been those bubble players to make the roster and and break camp with the major league team that... well, you had the option of, okay, we're actually going to give them a week or so in Memphis or, you know, and I know the dates don't line up exactly, but the point right, is, right. Um, you know, you don't have that almost immediate option of, okay, they can get some real game reps in before they come up a- and take over one of those major league spots. So just a, a whole layer of complication to who goes where at the end of the spring as that season has been delayed although hopefully that delay then allows them to play the remainder of the season without any additional interruptions and and uh that'll put everybody sort of back where they need to be and continue that development even at the AAA level i wonder i haven't heard but i wonder if they're even going to bother with um you know the traditional cuts from spring training because There's no place to cut them to. I mean, there's not really a, you know, usually you have minor league camp going on at the same time. And so the players send down and they go play and do the drills and things with the minor leaguers, but there's not anybody this year. I mean, you're just going to 
have this pool of, of players that's just going to be sitting around otherwise. So I'm wondering if the, you know, they really don't cut anybody until, you know, that final 26 man roster. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. I wonder if it's less about cuts and more about kind of those AB games becoming yeah. more starter versus minor league type games. I don't know. It's again, one of those weird wrinkles to the way they're trying to do things this year to keep everyone as safe as possible. And no one really knows how that's going to turn out. <laughs> no, no, we have proven that well over the last year. Nobody knows how anything is going to turn out, except apparently that if Adam Wainwright goes to the mound, it's going to turn out pretty well. That's True. what we've seen so far this spring is that Adam Wainwright has thrown, well, I think five innings now, given up one run um, on a, you know, give up a triple today that was wind aided and then a sacrifice fly. He has looked pretty much like you would expect an Adam Wainwright to look. And that really stands out when you look at the rest of the roster. <laughs> um, you know, the Cardinals have had trouble this week with anybody else on the mound, um, getting out of the first inning and occasionally being those innings that have been cut or rolled, we saw, or a pitcher leaving early to come back later. Um, KK struggled a bit. Carlos Martinez had a rough outing. Um, we saw John Gant make a start that I think the first inning was a little bit rocky and the second inning was a little bit better. Um, you know, last week we were talking about how one start doesn't matter and all these guys have just had one start, but it's not really a pattern you're really excited about for a team that even though that's added a, you know, slugging third baseman is still a pitching and defense team. Yeah, certainly not the most uh, invigorating first round uh, from the starters. I think there are still some questions trying to be answered, right? As far as Carlos Martinez is concerned, it's no secret that I always have opinions on Carlos Martinez, <laughs> primarily because I, I still really do believe in the stuff that he has. I think it has the potential to be a complete dynamic shift in the makeup of this pitching staff um, to see him struggle like he did. Uh, not great. <laughs> not certainly not uh, anything that's going to stop people f who have questions or who have doubts or who have criticism. But I, I did see something from Mike Schilt, even referencing the fact that Carlos Martinez pitched pretty well in, in uh, the winter league. So it's not as if he's suddenly lost his ability to be effective. He just maybe was working on something particular. Maybe was looking for uh, a certain pitch. Maybe he just doesn't have a feel for it yet. And that's not particularly unusual in the spring. It's just also not the most encouraging when you see that from someone who is really hungry to reclaim that spot in the rotation. Um, as far as everybody else, I think the, the KK situation with the velocity being low, that never feels like a good sign, but maybe it's just early in the the spring for him as well. Um, of course, Miles Michaelis and the, the mystery cautionary move <laughs> for yeah. him coming off of a season where he, that he missed entirely because of his own uh, arm injury. And there are other guys in that mix, right? With the, the John Gantz of the world and the Alex Reyes of the world. And everyone struggled to maybe put their best foot forward this week, except for Adam Wainwright. So at least he's got that going. Um, hopefully it's not like a complete flip flop when the season actually starts. And uh, the, he, he leaves that in the spring and everyone else picks it up, but it would be nice to see them all collectively maybe take a step forward this week. Yeah, it's um, 
a little concerning. Um, it is a concerning as well. Although I'll say there's one guy that's kind of stood out a little bit this spring, uh, not necessarily as a starter, but Tommy Parsons has come into at least two games, he came in again today. Um, so he's been in three games total. Um, but always in a, almost a fireman situation. He's the starters put on a run. I believe he came in in either the KK or the, or the Carlos Martinez game where the first inning was rough for the catcher and they take him out and Parsons has come in he's pitched four in the third innings and hasn't allowed a run yet. I think he may have let an inherited runner score today, but, uh, well, he's let one run scored and unearned. It was unearned. Um, these are the kind of guys that kind of get a chance in these situations. And all of a sudden these are guys that maybe kind of sneak onto a team with this. It always seems to be somebody that makes that push in spring that we're not expecting. Yeah, there always is. And that's one of my favorite things about the spring is to see who comes in and kind of does the exact opposite of what we were just talking about <laughs> with some of the guys that have struggled, who are expected to have those spots, expected to have the the success. And then someone comes in and, and reminds you of why they're there in the first place, of why they earned that invite. Um, the pitching side of this is always a little bit tricky to break through, I think, because there are just so many people in the mix. But John Mozeliak loves to say you can never have too much pitching. So I think any one of these guys, Parsons included, who comes in and makes a big statement with what they're able to do in the spring, even if they don't break camp with the team, especially having them available at this alternate site where they have nothing else to, to compete for necessarily, the opportunity is going to present itself for some pitching to be needed and he's going to be right there ready to go. So that's one of my favorite things about the spring. And it's always a little hard to tell how much room there really is in making that leap from a guy who's never been on the major league staff to someone who is, but it's, it's almost like as much as the first week doesn't really mean a whole lot for those guys who are kind of guaranteed spots on the roster, that first week means a whole lot for the kids who are coming up and trying to prove that they deserve to be considered for either that last spot or, you know, the first guy up or whatever it might be if there aren't if there aren't enough spots to give them one out of the gate. It's that impression, that first impression is so important when you haven't made your your break yet. And that's what guys like Parsons are, are trying to do at this point. And it seems like with Miles Michaelis, as we say, at least slow out of the gate. Um, it sounds like he's supposed to throw another a bullpen um, on Wednesday. That's supposed to be a little more aggressive, start building him back up. But, you know, we're kind of running. You know, there's only like three weeks left till opening day. Is there enough time for him to build up to be ready to go for that? If not, you're talking about a guy like Gant or Reyes sliding into the rotation, which leaves a spot in the bullpen, at least temporarily. And yeah, a guy like Parsons might get his foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't believe, I'd have to double check, but I don't believe he's on the 40-man roster, which is a small thing, although there is an open spot still, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if people like that can can make that jump, especially when others are struggling. Um, if they go to, a, and I, maybe we talked about this last week. So if we did, just tell me, we talked about it last week and we'll <laughs> skip it. But if they do need that fifth starter, who is your preference? I mean, we've seen Alex Reyes look really good this year, uh, this spring, but there is that consideration of, 
is he going to be able to do it in extended time? Um, John Gant has had some success. He struggled, like I said, in his, in his start this time. But, you know, he's a guy that wants to start, and he's been in the bullpen a while. You've got guys, I, I don't think you're going to see a, a Libertor or, or a, a Thompson probably make that jump. But then there's, of course, Ponce de Leon sitting out there. So if if you had to pick, not necessarily who's going to be the replacement fifth starter, but who would you want to see mm-hmm. as the replacement fifth starter? Yeah, it's a good clarification because I was going to say my instinct is that Ponce has a bit of a leg up just because he's done it before mm-hmm. uh, in terms of his ability to make the move to the rotation. And I, I should say he's done it more recently than either John Gant or Alex Reyes. My preference, if all things were, you know, as they could be, <laughs> would be Alex Reyes just because I think it's there's still so much excitement for me around the possibility of seeing him every five days seeing him mix in all the the variety of his pitches work in and out of some of those jams let the curveball do its thing um I don't know that that's something that I expect in terms of a realistic option simply because it's been so long since Alex Reyes was able to pitch that consistently and reliably so that sort of boils down to Ponce de Leon or, or John Gant in terms of maybe the most likely of options simply because John Gant has been more of that long relief guy as necessary. So maybe it wouldn't be as big of a stretch for him to stretch out and slide into that spot. But in an ideal world, I love watching what John Gant does. I love him out of the bullpen and I've been, dying to see Alex Reyes live up to his potential. So if he had that opportunity and the chance was there and, you know, physically he was uh, stretched out enough to be able to do that, maybe even in some sort of piggyback start, right? Maybe you don't ask him to go five or six innings every time out uh, because maybe that's not how you get the best out of Alex Reyes at this point. But it would be really interesting to see if there is still that possibility of the Alex Reyes we've all been hoping for for so long to have maybe a, a, a different impact in the rotation than what we saw from him in the bullpen last year. So it is still early. It's only been six games. It is spring training. All those fun qualifications that we always put on this <laughs> stuff that we talk about this time of year. But... Matt Carpenter is 0 for 11 this spring. He has two walks and six strikeouts. I know that, you know, like at least one time he hit into the shift and, you know, that's going to happen to Matt Carpenter quite a bit, quite a bit, but it was a good, a fairly good play happened to him. He's put at least one ball in the air that was caught. You know, again, 11 at bats, but given what we've seen out of Matt Carpenter over the last two years, is this as concerning as it really appears to be? Well, I mean, you say 11 at bats, there are only three players who have more, have more at bats than Matt Carpenter so Mm -hmm. far this spring. So it's not like that's the smallest sample size that we're working with here. Um, Yeah. I think it's concerning. I think the challenge with, Matt Carpenter is that he's dug himself such a hole that to get out of it in any sort of in any way that will be significant enough for people to buy in right Mm -hmm. um, 
it's going to have to be sort of classic Matt Carpenter. And it's been so long since we've seen that from him in any sort of extended time frame that this sort of stretch, even right at the very beginning, just makes it really hard to see how to justify giving him more of those opportunities than someone like Tommy Edmond, who's only had nine at-bats, but he also has three hits right. <laughs> in those nine at-bats. Um, three hits and a walk, I guess. So it's 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 not make or break at this point, I don't think. It's not necessarily telling of what Matt Carpenter is going to be able to do in 2021. It doesn't help the case that he's trying to make, I don't think, in terms of him coming in, earning a spot, proving that he did great work in the offseason, and that he's still capable of being that guy. I think Matt Carpenter is in a situation similar to where Adam Wainwright was maybe two years ago, where as much as Adam Wainwright wanted it, I'm not sure he thought he could do it. And he's since then said as much that he wasn't even sure he could be that guy again. I remember uh, hearing in 2019, Adam Wainwright talk about the encouragement and the leadership that Jack Flaherty showed to him instead of the other way around in just saying like, man, you're Adam Wainwright. Just go out and do what you do. Mm-hmm. And since I think really last summer, we heard a lot from, from Wayno that was basically him saying, I wasn't sure I'd ever be able to throw like this again. And without that, confidence without that feeling that we saw totally transform Adam Wainwright last season. I don't know that Matt Carpenter gets back to any sort of classic Matt Carpenter because right now it feels like he's just as unsure of every at bat as the rest of us are. And that's not a great place to be in when you're trying to dig yourself out of that hole. So not the the end of the story necessarily, but certainly not the start that I think would have given him that confidence to be able to say, okay, I, I'm still I'm still that guy. <laughs> I just have to get out of my own way sometimes and and make the game work for me instead of always feeling like it's working against him. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, you think he's a, I mean, you think of him as a veteran. He is. I mean, he's obviously been around a long time. And when you think of the veterans, you don't think of pressure as much. You think of mm-hmm. the being able to handle it. They've been there. They know they're able to relax. But it really feels, I mean, when you look at this, it's very easy to say, Matt Carpenter's put a lot of pressure on himself to try to oh, make yeah. people think that he's the Matt Carpenter of 2018 or or before and or that at least he's able to be a compliment to Tommy Edmund. And that may very well be backfiring on him right now. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult because of what, it, I mean, the last six weeks of 18 were, were iffy. And then we saw 19 and 20 that, you know, 20, maybe you give a little bit of slack, but when you factor in the rest, Boy, again, it is spring training and and who knows, maybe, you know, if you get on the, I mean, he's going to go north. He's going to be on the Cardinals. He knows that much. We know that much, um, unless some sort of injury shows up. Um, But man, I mean, this is a tough situation for a guy that's been a very good Cardinal for a very long time. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that he was around in, you know, 11 for a little bit. It's, he's been around a long while. But it doesn't make you, you know, optimistic that there's a second act or a happy ending here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's even more complicated in terms of thinking about the the Matt Carpenter era when you think about how good he was for a large portion of that. I mean, he's been one of the most successful Cardinals in the better part of the, I don't know, last decade (laughs) Um, in terms of what he's been able to do offensively, the way he's been able to fill in a spot. He took over the leadoff role when no one else could do it and all of a sudden was this you know, lightning rod for the team. The years of Matt Carpenter that we've seen have been mostly positive. It's just that what have you done for me lately that looks at the last two years in particular and probably going back additionally from there to see a bit of a decline. We haven't seen that same guy that wowed us in 13 and 14 and 15 and so on. So it's hard to think about the Matt Carpenter story ending this way when it just sort of overshadows everything that he has been for this team. Matt Carpenter has kind of become the Matt Holiday of this mm-hmm. team in the sense that when you actually go back and look at his numbers and the success he's had, it's a lot more impressive than it feels when you just think about the Matt Carpenter era because we we think about all the times where he hasn't come through as of late or where he has struggled or where he's gone 0 for 11 or 0 for 15 or whatever it is and not necessarily all the times that he's the reason the Cardinals won games. So I think in time people may appreciate his career in St. Louis more than they do now, but this certainly won't uh won't help if this is the unceremonious end to his time uh, his his career, his legacy as a St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah. But to wrap this up, I do want to talk about another legendary Cardinal. And that's Yadier Molina. Now, I know, Terry, you didn't see the game today. You may have seen these clips. Um, Yadier Molina, uh, the, the Astros have Jose Siri on first base. And Yadier does that legendary Yachty thing that he likes to do, which is try to pick the guy off first base, right? We saw that millions of times with Albert Pujols. He didn't, you know, wasn't successful. But Jose Siri then, as he dives back into the base, starts shaking his head like, no, 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 you don't do that. And he actually wags his finger <laughs> at Yachty or Molina. Um... And Yachty, being Yachty, basically nods his head and waves his mask like go ahead try to steal second and siri then next pitch i believe does that (laughs) and is thrown out by at least 10 steps because i don't you know we talk about yadi being clutch i don't know that yadi is as clutch as much as has a superb flair for the dramatic Mm. and that i mean when you see the clip and it's on mlb.com it's yes i'm sure it's it's uh when you see that you just i mean that's just that's kind of the essence of yadier molina right there it's and i have seen it and it's one of those things that uh, yadi is at his best when he has something like that to go off of right something Mm -hmm. like that where he can go oh you did not know. Okay. All right. Okay. Tough guy. L- let me show you why people don't do this to me. Um, no, but I love it. I think that those are the moments where we can realize as Cardinals fans that Yachty still has all of that. It might not be 
at the the level of consistency or the you know showing it off all the time that we saw in maybe his younger years but that skill and that ability and that competitiveness and that uh you know d- trigger i guess to jumpstart his um you know all those things the, the competitive nature and the skill set combined it's all still there and you know that's the same the same factor for me that is why he creates drama on Instagram, right? It's, it's the, like you said, the flair for the dramatic, the chance to basically take a moment and make it his own and to maybe show some people up in the process. We've all seen him in the comments on Instagram, (laughs) tearing people up for doubting him or whatever it is. So there's, there's that chip on his shoulder that I think will always be there that maybe propels him to some moments like this. But as a fan, (laughs) it's delightful to see him pull off something like that and remind everyone, oh, he's still Yadier Molina. He don't run on Yadier Molina. No, that's especially not after taunting him. I mean, come on now. I mean, young pups got to learn their place. And uh, (laughs) obviously Siri may have figured that out. Um, yeah, it's and I, I love when you see those numbers, and they put them out from time to time. Of, it's not even caught stealings against the Cardinals. It's if you look at the stolen base attempts against the Cardinals for the last fifteen years, they're like, you know, seventy five percent of what the next team is. I mean, it's a huge gap because nobody, everybody knows. I mean, that's that's more than anything. I mean, Yachty has the statistical numbers to get into the Hall of Fame. I don't I don't think there's a whole lot of question about that. I mean, he's not the best hitting catcher. And if you're looking at offense, but the overall package is good enough. But it's that it's that legendary part where other players, other teams don't give him the opportunity to get them out. They just don't run. Um, that aura that's around him that I think that puts him over the over the top to get into to Cooperstown. Because if you're talking about players that are famous among their their teams yadi obviously qualifies yeah and i do think that you know that's one of those factors that you can't quantify because mm-hmm. there's no way to even look back and say okay the reason that there haven't been as many stolen base attempts is because of yadi or molina and here's the sort of statistic and the analysis that shows that it just that doesn't it doesn't work that way, right? There mm-hmm. is some subjectivity involved in saying, okay, let's look at the facts, which are that the, these numbers are much lower than other teams, and Yadier Molina has been the catcher for most of those years. There has to be some sort of connection there, but it's it's not quantifiable in the same way that more of the counting stats are, which tend to be what people look at when you're talking, okay, does he have the numbers to get into the hall of fame? And I know this isn't what you were asking me, but I think, I think there has to be some of that, that, that feeling when you're watching a player and you know, they're one of the greats, right? Mm -hmm. That has to mean something when you're talking about the (laughs) hall of fame in my mind, if it's just statistics alone, then in my mind, you lose a little bit of that, 
that it factor, that thing that isn't quantifiable, that way that someone can totally change the shape and the dynamic and the structure of the game around them by the way that they do their job, especially if that comes in ways that you can't necessarily put into numbers. You can't necessarily put into some sort of graph or some sort of statistical analysis. And I think when you look at the players that are in the Hall of Fame, for the most part, every one of them, you can look at the way that they were sort of larger than life inside the game. And that obviously isn't... (laughs) You know, if you're if you're talking about okay, how do you vote for someone for the Hall of Fame? Well, were they special enough? (laughs) Isn't really a great category. But I think you said something about the aura around Yadier Molina. I think there there should be something to that when you're talking about the Hall of Fame because those are the kinds of players that do change the scope of the game and that do change the the history of the game in ways that is bigger than just the numbers on a page. And as far as Yadier Molina is concerned, I think when you look at this sort of era of baseball, the the ways that he has impacted the game certainly go beyond just the St. Louis Cardinals, but the way that he has really been you know, one of the, the the most solid pieces in the game, in the National League, right? There are teams that still fear Yadier Molina at the plate, even because, or even when he isn't what maybe he once was because of those clutch moments, right? Because of those things where you're like, he did it again. He poked a, <laughs> a, a fastball over the head of the... Uh, first baseman and scored two runs and tied the game because it's Yadier Molina and that's what he does. Now, obviously, that's not what he does every time or we wouldn't be talking about the struggles sometimes at the plate. But that's that magnetism, that feeling of this guy just does things better than other guys do a lot of the time. And I know that that sounds like a little bit of a pie in the sky relationship to should he be in the Hall of Fame, but I think there should be some of that context provided when you're looking at does this guy deserve to be ranked as one of the best of a generation um, when it seems quite obvious that the impact he's had goes so far beyond the numbers that are already enough to get him there. Yeah. All right, um, we've hit our half an hour mark, but I do want to mention, ask you one question for the next week. The Cardinals right now have four home runs, three of by people that are not going to be on the team um, when it breaks camp. One by Tyler O'Neill, who's having a pretty had a pretty good week. Let's put it that way, which is the extent of spring training right now. <laughs> so, in before we get together next week. Who will hit their first home run of the spring? Nolan Arenado, Arenado, or Paul Goldschmidt, or neither? Mm, I feel like Arenado is going to get into one this week. I, I feel like he's come close and just maybe wind or something knocked it around a bit. But mm. I feel like Arenado is going to break through this week. And maybe Paul Goldschmidt will be soon to follow, but I'm I'm gonna go with Arenado as the first of the two. All right, sounds good to me. I'll go with that. <laughs> All right, and we do want to point out that this week um, will be the hundredth episode of Chirps, 
uh, with Tara mm-hmm. and Alex over on the Birds on the Black uh, feed. Um, so check that out. I'm sure it'll be a big old party. Um, Alex seems like a big party kind of guy, I think. Yeah, yeah. So. Really, really high energy with with a lot of spring training baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can't get enough of that spring training baseball. Yeah, so. yeah. Anyway, so check that out this week. Tara and I will be back with you next Sunday. So until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.